Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strife Sanctum. My name is Citizen Strife, and this week I'm finishing off a trilogy of reviews for games that I've really enjoyed, especially over the last few years, now that I've done them on YouTube and whatnot. And that is Feeny Fright Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations. And Trials and Tribulations comes off the heels of Ace Attorney and And Justice for All. But it closes the book on the Phoenix Wright trilogy. Obviously, Phoenix would go on to pretty much be in every game other than the Great Ace Attorney spinoff. But for all intents and purposes, this is the end of his story. And more importantly, it's the end of the Faye story. Because they would show up here and there in games 5 and 6, but they wouldn't really have a presence anymore. Maya would show up in the Professor Layton crossover as a main character. But other than that, really, they're done here. And what they go out on is one of the best games I've ever played. It doesn't have moment-to-moment -moment greatness because the main storyline has to under you know has to be uh, stretched out with some minor cases and in most cases minor cases can hit or miss you can either have the stuff with Maggie Bird who's an enjoyable person but some things about it are kind of crap or you have a day in the life of Mo the Clown which is really fucking bad and then, like, the rest of the case is fine when he and Benjamin Woodman are not on the fucking witness stand trying to, you know, propose to a 16 or 18-year-old girl when they're, like, 27, and they're all, pop it! You know, shit like that. Um, this game is fine. I don't like the side cases as much as everyone else seems to, specifically the stolen turnabout. I think it's the allure of the Luke at me character that I think people go nuts for. It, the idea of a Phantom Thief is great, but I'll get into that later. I I don't think I like it as much as the, the prevailing majority do. Um, but I'll talk about that later. Really, this is about the main storyline, but we'll talk about that later. The nice thing about the Phoenix Wright series is pretty much everything from the second game, absolutely the same. Battle system, some of the music is different, but but yeah, the battle system or the courtroom system is pretty much the same. You got your Magatamas, you got your Cyclox, you've got all that fun junk that he was doing in the second game. There's really no new additions so really, it's the change in the characters and the structure and what he's going through. And as far as characters go, Phoenix, Maya, and Pearl are doing their daily lives. But they happen upon, while in their cases, they happen upon a new prosecutor named Godot. We don't know anything about him except that he loves his coffee. And he's got a weird mask with red stripes and lasery eye shit, like Cyclops, and white hair. Um, but he seems to know Phoenix, a little too well, in fact. And, again, my issue with prosecutors is that unless they show up in later games as a side character, they, they lose their luster when 
they're faced with Phoenix Wright because the structure of the game is such that they have to lose. So what is it about these characters that still work after they're done? Well, Miles, enough has to be said. He's a pompous son of a bitch, but he likes Phoenix, sort of, because they were friends and he's helped them escape murder and whatever. So shit like that. Um, Miles is showing up here and there, and he's been a side character or a main character in his own so in his own games too. So you get that character a lot of screen time. But Francisca suffered a bit. Godot suffers a bit, not as much because he's focused on quite a bit in the main story. But really, prosecutors get a bad rap because Phoenix Wright always has to win, or almost always has to win. Like the story cannot branch off if you lose. So unless it's designed that way, which happens in like one of the later games and whatnot. But otherwise, prosecutors can only stand up based on how they act. And other than his unique look and just fervent hatred of Phoenix Wright to the point of calling him trite all the time. There's nothing about him that sits there that I sit there and go, he's the second best prosecutor by default. It's it's the by default thing. I like him, but I don't like him like other people seem to like him. I think that's how it, how I'm going to phrase it. I like him enough because of what he does, not because of what he is. Um, if that makes any sense. But I'm getting that out of the way. But Godot is fine. But again, you've got all all the other mainstays. The other two characters that are that I feel are way more interesting as main characters are Dahlia Hawthorne and Iris. And I am going to talk about that at length when we get to it. So obviously if you haven't played these games or you haven't listened to my reviews of said games, assume that there are going to be spoilers, especially for this one. Cause I've tried to kind of ignore spoilers for the first couple, but there's no no way not not for this one i'm probably gonna have to put the spoiler tag from for for this story and it is a very very good story but all of the main stuff the investigations the talking to people the doing the cases all that stuff's the same so what are the cases well i'm not even going to start with case 3-1 i'm going to save that as its own encompassing thing for the entire story of that because it is an amazing look. I'm going to start with case 3-2, which is the first... Well, case 3-2 and 3-3 are the side stories that have nothing to do with the main story plot. So, case 3-2 is a stolen turnabout. Adrian Andrews has uh, changed her job after, you know, shit happened in the last case in 2-4. So... She's helping out at an art exhibit for the Korean royal, uh, Korean not royal family, but medium family, spirit medium family. So they got all their stuff. They got the Ami slash I am pot. They got some statues and whatnot. And stuff happens. Um, the somebody known as the Phantom Thief, Mask Damask, is coming to take some stuff. So she hires a dude known as Luke Atme. This self-professed, like, great detective kind of guy who goes, Zwari! And shit like that. Um, he's annoying as fuck. 
but he's charismatic as fuck too and i think that's why people like him again i'm not as like bowled over by that character as people are um i don't think of this case as much the the benefit i think is it's a civil case so it's stolen material and i think that's one of the things that phoenix wright lacks most cases is that it's a murder i understand that murder is the big thing and it's murder mysteries and you've got shit like um and i think danganronpa and mystery raincoat have the same thing too um the idea of murder mysteries murder procedurals that stuff it's a big deal but it was kind of nice in 3-2 where a lot of it wasn't about, you know, it, it wasn't about a guy being dead for the most part. It was a civil case. This guy stole some stuff and we had to prove that he didn't. Ron Delight was this really squirrely Leia, Princess Leia haired looking guy who would kind of talk like this and that one, and, you know, just be a fucking... Oh, the insufferable, absolute fucking waste of space. That kind of person that I absolutely despise. Even in characters, even in the side characters. He would do these like random screams. It's like, pay attention! Shit, you know, and it would be really annoying. So that's probably why I don't like the case all that much. Again, not as bad as Woodman and Mo. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Atme and Ron are not as great they're lucky that they're in a in a game where the other cases also kind of eh. but anyway stuff happens and stuff happens and stuff happens and they figure out that a murder has taken place during the civil case so it becomes a murder investigation uh, oh boy <laughs> i was just having fun not talking about murders for a change but things happen and at me goes you know just laughing at just at the screen and and his breakdown is kind of neat too um you know because he just, just owns the scenery i think that's what people remember is that he owns the scenery um as opposed to not being annoying i guess but again it's because Ron exists that I don't like the case much. At me by himself is cool, and I wouldn't be averse to like a non-villainous version of that. Like if Phoenix was more of a Sherlock Holmes kind of person and a little bit like up in the air. Like if Apollo Justice was like I'm fine, but I'm mysterious and shit. Like I don't know how how uh, Sherlock Holmes is in the great Ace Attorney stuff, but I'm assuming like. That's what Luke Atme would be as a normal guy, but I'm totally wrong. I'm probably totally wrong. But you can see how he could work as a hero, like a frustrated hero or anti-hero type as well, as much as a villain. Um, but 3-2 three, three, is fine. I don't put it as some amazing thing just because Atme's there. You know, it, it just exists. But what also exists is 3-3, three, three, which is recipe for turnabout. Maggie Bird comes back. Hooray! We need more Maggie. She's great. She's just nice. Um, what isn't nice is that she gets caught up in a uh, restaurant murder. Some people are squabbling over some stuff, and a guy puts some stuff in a drink, and the guy dies, and they steal a lottery ticket. Uh, turns out stuff like mobsters and whatnot, and here shit, and all this stuff comes in. Um... The most annoying two things about this case, before I get into the good parts, which 
aren't many is Victor Kudo, which I believe I believe is the dude with the giant red clown nose who like his nose bounces. He's got a hard on whenever some hot girl shows up, so he's staring at their miniskirts. Um so it becomes a thing early on in the case. There's also Jean Armstrong, who is like the fakest of the fake people. And every time he's on screen, I'm just, oh, you're meant to do that. You're meant to be repulsed when a fake French dude with a giant pink apron and outfit with poofy ass fucking hair. Like, think of the most butch, like, fat, like, strong, fat dude you can think of wears frilly clothing and talks like a French dude. It's such a, like, weird, like, sort of, like, wrestling crossover kind of thing. Like, it's weird. It's unnerving. It's intentionally meant to be unnerving. Doesn't mean I enjoy it. (laughs) So you have that. You also have mobsters and, you know, loan sharks and other crazy shit like that. It's fine. But, again, nothing sucks as much as two, two, three. (laughs) But it does derail what is really good stuff i think the game could have stood on its own just on three one three four and three five which is why i separated them because there's a reason for that the best cases in phoenix Wright history that for me anyway revolve around the fey family because they they managed to do interesting things with the spirit medium mechanic and they're able to weave that into the narrative as paranormal but also find ways to justify it and ground it to where it doesn't seem hokey and it seems very vengeful and that's important you have family drama and succession issues you have a you have a couple of cousins who just want to be friends and family you have people from beyond the grave causing godly sums of issues but then you have a main villain who is so just unique in their presence that they transcend what the game is trying to be and end up becoming something unto themselves the way they manage to do that is striking because again this is a procedural courtroom thing what does a dead person coming back to life how does that make any sense somehow this game makes it feasible. And again, they do shit like this in Spirit of Justice where they show you visions of the past. You know, it's in a different culture, in a different city. This is how they do their stuff. So they managed that. And and again, the, the psychological and spiritual elements of Phoenix Wright exist because they give you that from the beginning, but they don't overwhelm you. It's not even until the second game or so. The most that they'll do in the first game is show that, hey, we have spirit mediums and they think they're a bunch of phonies, but we see that Maya and Mia like switch bodies, you know, and Mia inhabits a body. So we've already been told that's kind of the rule. If you're internally consistent with your rule set, 
you can do anything. It's the suspension of disbelief. And, you know, again, the wrestling thing. You can do whatever you want as long as you justify it. So even if it's hokey, spooky bullshit, if it's hokey, spooky bullshit, but you have characters that work with it and are grounded enough in it and don't, like, jump the shark, you know, this is about as close to the line of jumping the shark as you can do. Multiple spiritual dealings, planning stuff out, months in advance because you know something bad's going to happen to you so you want somebody else to suffer later on that's the sort of crazy shit you can get away with when you're pulling in spirit mediums and dead people um but we'll start with case three one and you're actually one of the other cool things about trials and tribulations is you're actually being a pro you're actually um defending as mia Fey who <laughs> whenever she gets to do that in this game she honestly looks like tifa from final fantasy 7 in a in a in a work suit in a business suit and if that's awesome yes because it is mia is great and is my favorite character um gee i wonder why but anyway um so so it's cool that mia is always available and always around and now you actually get to play as her and you know realize that three to five years on she's not as confident as you'd think she would be because in the in the first two games she is just like owning the scenery as this completely understandable knowledgeable logical person she just kind of fiery kind of just i will do this shit i can do it you know but in a, in a good way, in a confident way, but still having enough vulnerability, the, the two cases that she gets, that it makes sense. Because in the first one, she's trying to get Phoenix off the hook for a murder at a college. And turns out that she finds a way to get him off the hook and convict somebody known as Melissa Foster. Or actually, no, Dahlia Hawthorne. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. The Melissa Foster thing comes later. Excuse me. Um, but yes, Dahlia Hawthorne. So Phoenix doesn't want to believe it because Dahlia is with him here and there. There's a struggle between a, a dude and Phoenix, and the dude is trying to warn him that Dahlia is not to be trusted. There was a funny there was a funny line which is meant to be funny and I don't know how many people catch on it. Um Dahlia is this very slender, very slim, very prim, very proper, I mean beautiful, cute girl in a way, you know, 20, 21, 22, something like that. You know, very frail looking. Got an umbrella, like the whole nine yards. When you see the people like Snow White where the animals are crowding on them and they're just perfect in every single way, you know, that sort of thing. And it ends up working to her advantage. The judges and whatever kind of strike me down when she's kind of like, this, this girl's bullshitting everybody. And she can see it right away. Because it's meant to be obvious that she's bullshitting people. So Mia has this like internal monologue where she says, well, I, I guess we know whose milkshake brings the boys to the yard. And I'm laughing because if you've seen Dahlia Hawthorne and you've seen Maya Faye, or well, Maya to an extent, Mia Faye, 
Mia Fey. Yes, you see Dahlia and Mia. I mean, it's the fact, it's just the fact that they say that, which is funny. Because I think Mia's got the biggest boobs I've ever seen in any game ever. That's not meant to be the gigantic, you know, hentai boobs. Anyway, um, getting off that subject before I get stuck. Um, she finds out that Dolly is a complete dickhead and is putting on a front. Who could have guessed? But she just has this vengeful, just, just really agitated feel to her. And Dahlia gets convicted. Stuff happens in the intermediary in between the time. And then, and then they go a few years later into Phoenix's storyline. But they bounce back, but they bounce forward again into Turnabout Beginnings, into a separate story with Dahlia again. So the main thing is now she's going under the name Melissa Foster. And she's trying to deal with this... Again, I'm getting confused. There's Dahlia and Melissa Foster in bo in cases. So I keep going to Melissa Foster. I'm pretty sure it's 3-4. So excuse me if I'm getting the wires crossed. I'll just call her Dahlia because it's a, it's a front. So Dahlia, under the, the pseudonym Melissa Foster, is trying to claim that somebody stole a gem and then found out about it had some time in prison and came back and went to confront the person that put them in jail it's basically a, a family member a sister or a half sister turns out Mia's onto her bullshit again and finds out that Dahlia causes it again but before they can convict the guy drinks some poison and just dies. So it goes without saying, and she gets off scot-free. This is before the other case. So this case happens, and then the Phoenix Wright case happens. So you start seeing a little bit of a trend of the poisonings and whatnot. The idea with the poisoning was Dahlia was trying to get it back the entire time. Because that was what was going to finger her for the Phoenix Wright case. She kept trying to get the, the poison back because there were traces of poison in there. Couldn't do it because Phoenix would never give her the thing. So we, we established that in two different cases, Dahlia has been playing people for fools and manipulating and killing people all along. And in the fourth case, we were introduced to Diego Armando, who is obviously Godot. Um, what ends up happening to him is he also gets poisoned. So he comes back from the brink of death in a coma, essentially, to play the part of Godot. And that really sets the showdown for case 3-5. And 3-5 is the longest case of the, of the trilogy for a reason. Because it takes in a, into effect everything from the first game everything from the second game, and everything that had been built up in the Mia cases. From the first game, you get Mia being dead and somebody coming back to try and save her or to threaten the person who couldn't save her, in, in this case, Phoenix. 
you have multiple cases of Morgan Fay being the mastermind back in 2-2, where it builds up the family dynamics and trying to seat Pearl as the heir to the the main family against her knowledge and against her will. But then you build in the fact that Dahlia exists as a fae. Or at least somebody who is born of that bloodline, but quickly gets dismissed and goes off into her own family. We find out that she's the one who's been stealing money, poisoning people, doing all these sorts of crazy things. But she gets convicted after the Phoenix Wright case. So Phoenix and Maya and Pearl go to this temple, this special course in the middle of nowhere that is going to house like tons of spiritual energy and get like Maya better prepared to take over. And she gets left on an island thanks to a thunder strike, a lightning strike. Bridge is set on fire. All this crazy shit happens. Larry Butts shows up because Larry Butts is dumb you know, in his own smelly butts kind of way. Um, we find this person called Elise Donim who showed up out of nowhere, who's this author. She's the one who ends up getting murdered. But the mechanics of how it happens over the next five to seven hours is just some crazy shit. So Maya's left alone. Francisco von Karma shows back up to help because Phoenix gets a cold. So Miles and Francisca have to um, kind of work their magic through the first part of the case. Miles takes over for Phoenix in the first bit. Phoenix feels good enough after shenanigans and learns that there's still there's still stuff. The, the faux murder that happened wasn't the actual scene of the murder. They were investigating another part of the murder. And they've been finding out that somebody related to Dahlia, known as Iris, has been staying at the has been staying at the temple. So she is the main suspect. So they try to figure out ways to where a body can go from one side of the bridge to another. They find out like pendulum swing. They find that the the body could have been murdered on one side and then thrown and thrust to the other side and then placed there. But how did that happen? The Thunderstrike made it impossible to traverse. They were using like snowmobiles and junk, but they, you can't ride a snowmobile over a bridge. Especially not a rickety bridge that's on fucking fire, right? So things keep happening and things keep happening. And what ends up finding is Iris escapes. Maya's been left alone. We don't know why. We don't know how. The plan all along was to keep Maya at bay long enough so that somebody, a certain red-haired ghost from the past, could come into someone else's body and just stab her. So that was Morgan's plan. Dahlia went along with it, but not because Maya was there. And that's the, that's the interesting thing is you build and you build and you build, and then you find out Dahlia still exists as this vengeful spirit of the damned. But she's not doing it because Morgan asked her to. She doesn't give a shit about her family. What she wants is revenge on Mia 
for convicting her of a crime, for being the only person to see through her bullshit and trump her the entire time. So we find out that Iris and Dahlia are twins and that Dahlia has been messing around and is now inhabiting Iris's body. So she awoke in Elise's body to try and kill Maya. For some reason, it didn't happen. But things keep going on and things keep going on and Mia shows up. And we find out that it wasn't Pearl's body, wasn't Elise's body for a while. Something happened and Dahlia's body the, the person she took over was Maya the entire time. Her entire reason for still existing to take vengeance on Mia was to kill Maya. But Maya, through Mia's efforts, was able to predict that Dahlia would pull this kind of shit. So she ended up calling Dahlia so that she would survive. And I remember the lines. You can start seeing Dahlia's face just start to just quiver and just annoyance and frustration. And the entire scene of the game that this is predicated on is amazing. And if you've played it before, you'll know what I'm talking about. The idea that Mia knew enough to help out Maya to the point where she would survive. She would fall asleep and then her body would be taken over Dahlia couldn't believe it and Mia had basically said whether it's in this life or the afterlife you're not better than me you're just spoiled arrogant, manipulative and sad and you will have to live for the rest of your afterlife, your ghostly afterlife knowing you've never beaten me and just the sheer, like, power of that, like, word, the verbiage there, sends Dahlia outside of her, outside of Maya's body. Maya regains her consciousness as Dahlia floats the screen, like, floats to the top of the screen. The effect, and remember, this is on a DS. There's not meant to be voices. I mean, there's some voice clips, whatever, but... They don't really do special effects all that much because of the hardware limitations. But the fact that you can see this like floating image like jump up out of a body with this like blood curdling female scream. It's it's the sort of thing that I can't even fathom. And you you don't get the full experience unless you've played the game. And again, this is the sort of thing that would have been hokey as shit if they'd played it any less straight. But it is played as straight as possible. To see someone this vengeful still get fucked over and then realize that all of her plans have failed. And that she's still living, sort of, but she knows that she can't do the thing that she wanted to do. And she can never do it again. So, she's been beaten. And she's going to have to live with that resentment. But the game, even further, doesn't even finish. And it says, we're not done yet. 
Maya, half conscious, having dealt with this, essentially the serial murderer taking over her body, is now forced to claim that she didn't kill Elise Donum, which is bad enough, ends up being revealed as her own mother, Misty Fay. So you got that problem there. Dahlia taking over Misty Fay's body to try and murder her own daughter out of revenge for somebody who sent her to execution. It's just, oh God. So you bring back so many things, but then Godot is willing to sacrifice himself. Once Phoenix Wright figures out that Godot was following them the entire time as a means of protection, he knew either because Mia told him or just a gut feeling to be there when something happened. So when Dahlia took over Misty's body to try and kill Maya, he stabbed her first. And the way they found this out and the sequence of seeing, like, because they're called breakdowns. And again, Dahlia's breakdown of escaping Maya's body in a just blood-curdling scream was amazing. But finding out Godot was the one who murdered her at the same time to get Maya off the hook, finally, just this like bloody tear streams down his mask and down his face. And it, it puts an end to a story. And again, you're not going to get the full story if you haven't played the game. Whether I'm spoiling it for you or anything like that, or if it's just going down memory lane again. I've seen this story play out like three or four different times. I saw it in the anime version, which is still pretty good. They do a little bit more with the with the Dahlia stuff. I don't think it's as impactful as just a scream. But there is more to go on because there's voice acting and junk, so there's a cool way they go about it. Um, I've seen the Dahlia scream like five or ten different times. I keep coming back and watching that scene just because. I've played the game three or four times, watched footage a couple of times. I can't get enough of this game, and I can't get enough of this franchise. It has its ups and downs. And again, I'm going to be playing the Apollo Justice trilogy. I played it. I played this on YouTube. I played all of the original Phoenix Wright games via the trilogy on YouTube, so I know my way around it. Apollo Justice comes out next year, and I'm going to be doing all of those, too. So even though the games have their ups and downs, when this game is on and it is willing to take you on a journey, whether it's hokey, whether it's fun, whether it's gripping narrative-wise, whether it's trying to kind of fool you with its gotcha murder cases... Phoenix Wright is something that is very special. And the fact that Trials and Tribulations is widely regarded as one of the best games ever from this little franchise that is all about courtroom drama and spirit mediums and mostly just a visual novel, it stands to reason that when you have characters in a story that can engage, you can do some amazing things. So... Would I recommend Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Trials and Tribulations? Well, what the fuck do you think? I, I can't stress this enough. This is one of the best franchises there is going. And even some of the worst games still have some of the best parts to them and some interesting things to them. So when this game 
franchise is on, and it is completely on for the entire Dahlia Hawthorne case, you're in for a treat. So find it any way you can. I know that they now have the re-releases on PS4 and Switch and whatnot. You have no excuse. Ace Attorney is amazing, and I would highly recommend it for anybody. But that'll do it for me. And let's see what I'm doing next. So next week is Interviews with Monster Girls. Another show I can kind of rattle off in memory, which is really good. I'm doing the next one with some prep work. River City Girls 1 and 2. Amazing franchise revival from the Kunio-kun and uh, I wouldn't even know how to say the Japanese name, so don't quote me. The River City the River City storyline uh, from the guys who also made Double Dragon, or at least published Double Dragon. So they they know their way around beat-em-ups, and for better or for worse, River City Girls is amazing, and I want to talk about both of them, and nobody's going to stop me, so I'm going to talk about them and enjoy it. Speaking of talking and enjoying it, after that is the quintessential quintuplets. Speaking of things I can't shut up about, I already recorded that episode, I'm just placing it later in the story because I I did like a complete run through of the show last week. Did the did the movie at like the end of like three or four in the afternoon. Immediately did like an hour long video because I couldn't contain my excitement. It ended up being a top three anime for me, so I was like, "Yep, I'm talking about it. Not gonna wait on it. Gonna fucking do it." So I've recorded that already. So it's been recorded. Um, and then after quintuplets is going to be the Sega Genesis grab bag. I have a list of about 10 to 15 games from the Genesis era that I've enjoyed. Uh, Toe Jam and Earl, um, Sonic Spinball, Mutant League Football and Mutant League Hockey, Streets of Rage, Road Rash, you name it. Just the, just the works. Anything that wasn't like a Sonic which is a bit too intense to do as its own. Like, they have to be their own thing. Each each Sonic game has to be their own thing, or Fantasy Star. Streets of Rage probably could be its own episode, but I'm going to kind of do a basic rundown of Streets of Rage as the first part for this episode. So it's just going to be me bouncing around, thinking of stuff to talk about for all of the games in the Sega Genesis lineup because I was both a Nintendo like Super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis kid. I was one of the lucky ones. And I, do I have every game? No. I, can I talk about every game? No. But I'm going to talk about the ones that I really really enjoyed. So if you ended up joining around the time that I did the the Super Nintendo grab bag, last year i believe or sometime earlier this year you're in for a treat because it's going to be a similar situation but as far as this episode about phoenix wright ace attorney is concerned that'll do it for me and i'll see you guys next time citizen strive signing off <laughs>